Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 23 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. As we approach the halfway point of this 52-week podcast, we're dealing with the definitive, according to many, version of A Christmas Carol. That's right. We're talking about the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol based on that 1843 novella, A Christmas Carol by one Charles Dickens. Tricky Dick. You may have heard of him. This is our... Tricky Dick. I don't know about that. Oh, Lord. I am not a ghost. I am not a ghost. Is this our third Christmas Carol? This is our third telling of A Christmas Carol. And in many ways, the most authentic or most faithful adaptation of A Christmas Carol, of Dickens' version of A Christmas Carol. This is a British production. It actually opened in the UK the week before it opened in New York, which was then two weeks uh, two weeks before it opened wide to the country. This is the Christmas Carol film. It was actually called Scrooge in England. Uh, it was changed to A Christmas Carol to match the Dickens title when it was released in the US. But if you're looking for this on YouTube, where you can find the entire movie in actually pretty good quality, uh, you can find a nice good print of it uh, in black and white on YouTube for free. Go there. It is, like I said, it's the 1951 version. It's the one that stars Alastair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. It was directed by Brian Desmond Hurst, and it was a screenplay by Noel Lang. You want to hear a fun fact about Mr. Noel Langley? Yeah. He was one of the three credited screenwriters on another little movie that not many people have heard of, A Wizard of Oz. Wow. Impressive, Noel. He actually did the first full script of the movie. Uh, It was eventually heavily rewritten by... Florence Ryerson and Edgar Allan Wolf, but one of the producers at the time wasn't really crazy about their work and actually then brought Langley back, brought old Noel back to then rewrite some of the stuff that was rewritten of his. So, yeah, they are the three credited screenwriters, though I think there was probably more like seven different people who had their hands on the script of A Wizard of Oz. Uh, And that was 12 years before this movie. Oh, Caroline. Yeah. This is not... (laughs) A Muppet's Christmas Carol. This certainly isn't. I found this one difficult, Mike. I I don't have an issue with a black and white film. I don't have an issue with an older film. But when you combine those things with a very thick British accent and vernacular from long ago, you are creating a challenging movie for me to want to watch, especially during a lighthearted time of the year. There were times I had to rewind this so many times because... I found the accents a bit impenetrable. Mm. Uh, I, I really had to pay attention. I had to pay attention more than I wanted to pay attention for watching a story I feel like I know so well. 
And yet I, I was like, man, I got to back that up. I missed it. And, and when you watch on YouTube, you don't really get closed captioning. Right. Like it's not a thing with YouTube uh, or at least not reliable closed captioning. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. Mostly times it's not. So I really had to like go and turn up the volume. You know, I'm one of those guys yeah. who turns the volume down to back up in a car or if like something is going on, I'm looking for something. I have to turn the volume down in the car. Well, yeah, I had to you think better. Yeah, I had to crank the volume on this one. I had to do the reverse reverse parking uh, on this one and i had to raise the volume to try and figure out what in blazes they were saying some of the times which i know you know from people around the world they may say oh you americans you know you should be able to do better than this but i'm telling you the combination of words we don't use anymore plus the accent was really the double whammy I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of British humor. I was a big Monty Python guy always. I don't have a problem with British accents. It's like you're saying, it's the combination of the accents and just words. Yeah, vernacular is the perfect word. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> even if you try. I, even if I, and I, I yes. Even if and I you're had, trying. Even if I had thought of it first, I couldn't have said it better oh, myself. if only you had. Uh, yeah, I, so, I mean, I think there's a double-edged sword when you try to be so faithful to the original work, and the original work is, even at this point, it was more than 100 years old when they made this movie, and now yeah. in 2020, we're talking like 100, what, 70 years? 100 80 years since you know dickens novel we don't use we we no talk like that no more and <laughs> we don't and so it was it was a tough slog and i gotta tell you i mean while a very faithful adaptation of of the of the book and i and i looked all sorts through comparisons of the source material to this movie because obviously movies like scrooge which we did uh two weeks ago when you look at like Scrooge, which is inspired by or loosely based upon, or even like the Muppets Christmas Carol, which is actually a pretty good adaptation, a pretty faithful adaptation of the story, but it's Muppets and they're talking in current American English. And so much more easy to digest. I found this version really dark, not like lighting wise, but like thematically, it really plays to yeah. the darkest side, not scary, just brooding not very kid friendly like i i don't think my son who's 13 would be into this movie i think he would find it very troubling and i imagine kids seven eight nine this is a christmas movie i think for sure but not a family friendly one no i don't think so either i think that you know sims as uh ebenezer scrooge has an edge to him that that leaned so much more into horror movie it was odd i kept thinking like did he play a vampire in a movie that i've seen has he played some character that i'm associating with him i couldn't find anything but i'm telling you like his face his teeth his mouth there was something about it that was beyond the Ebenezer Scrooge grumpiness into sinister monster. So sinister. That that's the perfect word. Man, you're you're banging it out of the I park know. Of these just words. keep just enjoy it. Don't it's, even try to restate I'm, I'm my words. Basking in Don't it. Don't even I'm, try it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna use it. The sinister nature of it, you know, I read a lot of places before doing this, and the reason I put this on this list was because I knew we were doing Muppet Christmas Carol. I knew I knew we were gonna do several versions or several tellings of a Christmas Carol because you can't do fifty two weeks of a Christmas podcast, a movie podcast, and not do several tellings of A Christmas Carol. It's been remade so many times. And so I knew we were going to do this one because this is really often cited as a definitive adaptation of it. And Alistair Sims is often referred to as a definitive Scrooge. I got to tell you, really, if I was a kid 
this guy may give me nightmares if yeah if, if he, oh, he definitely if, would i he absolutely looks like a vampire to me it's almost disturbing at the end of the movie after he has had his his change and he wakes up and he accosts that that lady <laughs> on the stairs you know what, yes, what is she's it? screaming she's terrified so of this man much i was like okay this moment alone is why my kids can't watch this because she is screaming i was like oh so my god how demented a portrayal of this man <laughs> normally yes. must he be for this woman to be so terrified of him when he is jolly yeah. so, you know if you told me that alistair sims and bella lugosi were cousins i'd believe you or at least that they had the same acting teacher he's exactly who i thought of bella lugosi is exactly who i thought of because of the shadowy facial features and the way that he that he uses his mouth and teeth there's something about it that just i mean i'm sorry i i i feel for this man because this is his face but this is a problem <laughs> when you're trying to tell stories to families you right. know which i think is an important uh this is an important discussion because I, so much of this podcast has been trying to figure out what is a christmas movie what are the themes but we've also spent a lot of time talking about this is a christmas movie but maybe it's not family friendly this is a christmas movie and obviously made for for families, uh, you know, things like Bad Santa, things like Gremlins, which maybe doesn't work for a younger set, uh, things like Harold and Kumar's Christmas, Christmas movies, but not family friendly Christmas movies. Now, I think if you ask most people on the street, is a Christmas carol a family friendly story? I think most would say yes without hesitation. I, I don't think anyone could sit through this and say, yeah, this is cool for my kids to watch. I can't imagine that any any child under the age of 13, I can't imagine any child, whatever their age, would be willing to sit through this because it's 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 kind of impenetrable. Either scared or bored. Those are the two you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. When you do turn in, uh, tune into it, you're <laughs> terrified by this sinister man. So you might just kind of, you know, gaze off to the side. But I think it's an important <laughs> discussion, though, because does that change it? I mean, tell me if you disagree that most people would say A Christmas Carol is a family fr family friendly story. Does it matter then how dark the adaptation is? Because the themes are all there. Goodwill towards men, the ability that it's not too late to change your way and and to start doing good and and to recognize the mistakes of your past and and live a life that's not consumed by capitalism and greed and commercialism you know all of that's here it's all present if you can get through the accents and the old-timey words but it doesn't hit the same way right that that uh, a muppet christmas carol does does it right because i think it feels like it's missing heart and that's the thing like there's something about it that becomes just a shell of the story because you don't have the beating heart that feels like you can you can feel whether it's through the cratchits or or ultimately it should be scrooge at the end you should feel his beating heart and when you have this woman screaming at the top of her lungs when he's had the change it really kind of puts a damper on that entire thing to to your point though is a Christmas Carol a, a family-friendly story? I would have put the asterisks. If you had asked me on the street, I would have said, yes, it can be, but it really does depend on the adaptation. I I took the kids to see 
uh, it live at the Alley Theater here in in Houston. And that version included like all these special effects and a spinning bed and all this stuff that was not played for fun. It was played for for fear for terror and yeah. it scared them yeah. and so in that in that way i would say you know I, the ghosts are meant to have this element of you know terror to them because you're supposed to be scared enough to change your ways so it has to mean something it does matter if that is a muppet or if that is you know one of our other one of the ghosts that is in our current 1951 Christmas Carol. Those come off very differently. Well, I had very few notes on this again because I know the story, so it was more about my emotional response to it. But the one note I had was that ignorance and want, the two like little orphan children that live inside the ghost of Christmas yet to come or ghost of Christmas future, depending on what you're watching, I found them less scary than the ghouls and creatures inside the same ghost in, in Bill Murray's Scrooged. I thought that was I thought that ghost was kind of hideous and gross and disgusting the ghouls inside of there. Well also they were in his like rib cage in Scrooge, remember? They were kind of like in his skeleton. Whereas this one, Ignorance and Once were like at his feet and they were More just under his cloak, yes. Yeah. And yes. so in that case they weren't you know, the the presentation of them was less scary, I guess I want to say. But also, I mean, way less impactful. Like, I was like, ignorance and want. And what are these little kids doing hanging around under his feet? Like, it didn't really hit the same way. Well, so here's the thing. So those are actually, I mean, that's the, the lines quoted there about ignorance and want. Uh, that whole passage is actually from, from the novella. But if you look beyond ignorance and want deeper into the ghost's cape, you do see the souls and the ghosts and Marley's ghost is there and there are some creepy crawly ghouly things but overall the effect didn't hit nearly as hard scare wise but it was from what I've seen and read it's it, it was more of a, a a better reflection of what the Dickens novel had so, so that's it, yeah. a trick though right when you're doing a screenplay it's is it is it important to be accurate to the words or is it important to actually do the screenplay transition part where you make it visually more interesting than what you read on the page because there's a difference you know how you read it in a book versus how you see it on a screen that's why we have teleplays and screenplays and stuff like that otherwise we would just read out of the book you know they have to adjust some things in order for it to be more interesting as a viewer you know, I, I I think you're 100% correct when you say that this movie and Alistair Sims's portrayal of Scrooge lacks heart. It also it also fails to stir inside you any kind of sympathy or empathy, which is where I think the fatal flaw of this comes from. You know, when Michael Caine is outside the Cratchit's window with the Ghost of Christmas present in the Muppet Christmas Carol and you see him getting choked up over uh, Tiny Tim's chair being empty and then learning that, you know, the the, cr- the crutch by the door and, and his absence and then and then jumping into the, the future and, you know, he hasn't made it. And, and just watching Michael Caine's transformation, his emoting, it's not just sinister. It doesn't go from pompous to scared to remorseful to change there's a lot there's a lot more gradations there and and so you see the transformation you see it play across his face and his body language here it was much more pompous now i'm scared now i'm terrified now i'm changed 
it was very it was very uh mechanical i i didn't feel the growth it was just like it, for, to me it was more like all right at this point in the story now now i am changed this is where we're coming back to you know a more traditional or reserved version because it is more subtle and for that alone it makes it more adult it isn't going to be like this gigantic change of emotion it is these small emotional changes but that doesn't work when you're trying to a lot of times tell a story to kids, especially, but then also just a, like a holiday story like this. You want there to be, you know, the the huge juxtaposition of like, oh, look at this, but versus this, like you want that big change, you know? Right. I think what you're, I think the barter being made here, uh, what you're losing in, say, a Michael Caine, and, and I'm bringing up Michael Caine because I found him a much better Scrooge for my purposes and what I'd want to get across to my kid uh, or right. to any kid. Uh, that's the kind of Scrooge portrayal that I'd want them to see. They'd get the message, but not also, they'd also be able to go to sleep that night. So I think what you're losing in the bargain of empathy and sympathy and more human connection is maybe less polish less right gravitas less gravitas and i think i think the movie reviewers would say that this version this 1951 version this sims version of a christmas carol is definitive because it's faithful this to the story but i think they would say more or maybe they wouldn't realize this but I, i think what they would really be getting at is this is the more cinematic you know a muppet christmas carol is a movie this is a film you're losing empathy and sympathy for the for this character and and you know when kermit is telling piggy and you know the rest of the family or as bob cratchit is telling them about where he buried tiny tim's little body i mean you and i both i remember talking about how we were getting teared up but just listening to it on the podcast we just played the clip and i i had to like take a second to like collect myself you're not getting that here Mm -hmm. but you're getting something that feels like film it's a very formal telling absolutely there there is a, a part to it that you're right it feels like we should be dressed up and watching it in a theater and and that is a definite take on this story but i don't know that it works today in 2021 stiff would be the word i think i would come up with there is a stick up the rear end of this movie <laughs> that if if it had been extracted may have loosened it up a bit but you know it, it's still a Christmas Carol. The themes are still there. I, I, I mean, do you, do we disagree that this is a Christmas movie? Uh, we don't disagree. It definitely is a Christmas movie. I think that it's one of those ones where we had a rough time deciding whether it had aged well, this version. Um, and so I think in this case, the story, of course, A Christmas Carol, evergreen, always going to be wonderful at Christmas time. However, the version you watch matters and whether or not it's right for your family or for your date night or whatever you're doing, um, you know, pick the one that makes sense to you. And this one might be fantastic for, you know, maybe an older person with a cup of tea who is looking for, you know, they just finished some of their British stories and now they're ready to sit down and watch A Christmas Carol. This is a very refined version, Um, but it is not the one where you're like, you know, in your jam jams, eating Christmas cookies with milk and eggnog and whatnot, and you're all cozy together. Like, this isn't that one. But I'd also say this is the version that if you're a student at Tisch, you know, the art school, and right. or you're a film student and you have to do a critical analysis analysis of storytelling or or filmmaking uh if you're a cinephile this is the version you're going to want to see of this because 
that's the things you're going to get out of this. You know, you're 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 going to be less concerned about did Alistair Sims connect to you emotionally as Ebenezer Scrooge than the lighting and the the you know the editing and the choice of shots and the use of shadow and light and all of that kind of thing that you're going to get in a technical review of the movie but you're not going to get in a if you're looking for something that's really going to hit you emotionally and resonate well, can I with talk you. about that for just a second i know we normally jump right into casting but but if we could for a moment i really did appreciate the the um some of the shot choices like i appreciated the way and it was actually jack who noticed it who was like i like the way that they tell like the passing of time where there's like this tunnel and you have like the hourglass and in the way that the camera moves through it and the hourglass is changing like it was very visually interesting um also just from like a, a a small detail standpoint but i really appreciated with tiny tim every other version i've ever seen of of a christmas carol has tiny tim put his crutch in the corner uh of a room that is um absolutely not the way a kiddo with special needs likely is to have a some sort of accommodation like that and in this one it was I, I like was like oh my god i love it they had a hook that was permanently on the wall by the fireplace that fit his crutch perfectly it had this little like u hook and his crutch fit right on it and i was like that's so perfect i love that as as a mom who has a kiddo with a cane she puts it on the hook every day that's realistic to a house and i've never seen that i've always just seen it leaned in the corner so for small moments like that i was like good on you you made me feel like this was these were real characters that were lived in i i mean i think that's where this movie shines it shines in its technical detail it shines in its production value it shines in the technical aspects of the story they're telling the lighting and the shadow you know everything yeah. we're talking about alistair sims being this ghoul-like character this ghoulish character the most engrossing part of the story for me was learning how jacob uh marley how marley and and scrooge came to be now they invented this character this jorkin character is invented for the movie he's not in the book but this idea of being wooed away from uh Fozzywick, i know it's Fezziwick, but um, <laughs> i'm using my muppet uh uh v- version instead we'll allow it being lured away from him and and just leaning into the avarice and greed and this backstory about how scrooge and marley came to be and their rise as businessmen what was uh, expanded for this movie this movie version is not that's not delved into in such detail in the dickens work um but i actually found that that for me i think that was the part that i was kind of leaning most into and i enjoyed and again because i think it was shining on the technical aspects of the filmmaking and it mattered less to me that i cared about this guy this is not the screw this is where this is scrooge's origin story i'm not supposed to care about him at this part so i didn't feel bad that i wasn't that he didn't, you know, care for him. I'm not supposed to, right? I'm supposed to see that he's a crab apple, and that's what the that's what the story is supposed to be telling me, and how he got there. I found it interesting to watch that rise and that change in him. So that worked for me. And again, because I think the movie is emphasizing this technical aspect of filmmaking over making a, an emotional connection to the to the audience. Do you want to talk a little bit about casting? 
Did you know any of these people in the cast? Uh, one name uh, stood out to me, but I couldn't say why until I talked to you. So I'd like you to, <laughs> to say. But otherwise, this cast was anonymous to me. But I know there was one that stood out to you. So Oh, just, just Mrs. Cratchit. And it had nothing to do with her name. I didn't ever know her name was Hermione. I think, is that how you say her name? Yes. Well, if you're a Harry Potter fan, that's how you would say that name, yes. How would you say that? It's Hermione. Could you say it another way? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, there, there like, is fun. There are people in. in, 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 in <laughs> Could you say other ways? In, in the Harry Potter books, they often have fun with her name, but it's all versions of Hermione. It's, you know, it's Hermione, uh, you know, still like that, but it's, it's Hermione. Yes. Okay, well, so the the cool thing about her, I have like a thing about particular parts of your face. And so for her, all I recognized is from her nose, like under her nose down to her chin. And I was like, I know that part of her of a face. And it took me a while. But then I figured out it was from Mary Poppins. She was the housekeeper in Mary Poppins. And I was like, I am loving this so hard that I recognize her face. And it, she actually like I kept seeking her out then, which is funny because Emily Cratchit is certainly, you know, one of the characters who is, you know, a sweetheart and you want to, you know, peep her out anyway. But she just she was so I I just can't describe to you. She was also in Maud. So I love her in Maud as well. So she's just somebody who stuck with me. Can I give you a little six degrees of Mary Poppins? Okay. So in this movie, Mervyn Johns plays Bob Cratchit. Hermione Badley plays Mrs. Cratchit, his wife. In Mary Poppins, Hermione plays Ellen the maid to Glynis Johns, who plays Mrs. Banks. Glynis mm-hmm. Johns is Mervyn Johns' daughter. What? That's crazy. Small world. <laughs> Very small world. Small world. So I, I, I love I, it. I saw that fact. I was like, Caroline will get a kick out of that. I love that. You know what? We should get into some fast facts, Mike. I, that sounds good to me. During the Ghost of Christmas presence sequence, Scrooge's former fiance, Alice, works with the homeless and sick. The character is named Belle in the book and becomes a happily married mother of several children. Hmm. Interesting. That's a little bit of an amalgamation of the uh, of the do-gooder role in Scrooge, which we had a big yes. problem with that whole we aspect. We didn't of, quite understand her. And we didn't really, I mean, we, we thought that was a real oddity to being jammed into the story. But I knew the bell fact also from Scrooge because that was a fast fact on the taxi cab company. It was the bell cab company. And I remember that fast mm. fact from Scrooge. Although the word Scrooge means a stingy person now, back in Charles Dickens's time, the word was actually a slang term meaning to squeeze. Oh, that's funny. That's that interesting. Which uh, a penny pinching miser like uh, Scrooge would be squeezing people. So, I like that. I, I like that. Yeah, Very for sure. Nice. The film was originally slated to be shown at New York City's Radio City Music Hall as part of their Christmas attraction. But the theater management decided that the film was too grim, good call management, and did not possess enough family entertainment value to warrant an engagement at the music hall. So instead, the film premiered at the Guild Theater, which is nearby. I can't see this movie sharing the same stage as the Rockettes. No. And in fact, I feel like parents would be covering the children's eyes. Oh, my God. Good Lord. <laughs> Hold your cookie tin up in front of your eyes, children. <laughs> Don't be ignorant. My part of the Rockettes when you get the little chocolate chip cookies. Be neither uh, ignorant nor have want, children. The song that Mr. Jorkin, who, remember, is a made-up character for this movie adaptation, 
The song that he whistles after offering Ebenezer Scrooge a job is called The Lincolnshire Poacher. The lyrics tell, tell a story about a poacher who sings how much he loves unlawfully entering property and trapping game there. Poaching can also be the practice of hiring an employee away from a competitor, which is what Mr. Jorkin has now done to Mr. Fezziwick via Scrooge. Wow. That is very complicated whistling. That is a deep cut <laughs> old Mr. Jorkin is giving there. Wow. That, that is a wicked whistle. Woof. Yeah, Marley's ghost can be seen near the center of the mass of tormented spirits after he shows them to Scrooge. That was what we were talking about at the end, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Michael Hordern was not on set when Marley's ghost segment was filmed. He was actually added later through the use of an optical printer. He only appeared together with Alistair Sim in the two scenes at the end of the Ghost of Christmas Past sequence, the latter of the two being the scene where Jacob Marley dies. This was also true of Michael Dolan, who played the spirit of Christmas Past. He never actually played any scenes on set with Alistair Sim. Wow, that's crazy. That's pretty rad for back in the day, right? Like dropping people in. Look at that. Yeah, the green green screen in way back in England in 1950s. Yeah, but we're giving them credit for technical work here. I think that they they did interesting things with with the visuals. But I, you could take out. You can't scary. take that away from them. I mean, if Mm-mm. when when you don't have your your hands covering your eyes, maybe you'll appreciate some of the technical work. <laughs> How about one All right, more? Mike. One more. Okay, last one. The name. Of the character, Mr. Jorkin, which sounds like such a silly name, was taken from the character Mr. Jorkins in David Copperfield, another Charles Dickens work. Jorkins shares some traits with Copperfield's nemesis, Uriah Heep. I love that. A uh, little fun fact about Mr. Jorkin, this fictional character made up for the, I guess they're all fictional characters, but this character invented for this story. He was actually played by Jack Warner. Uh, no relation to the Warner Brothers, which there was also a Jack Warner in that family. Uh, Jack Warner was a very popular British actor at the time who agreed to do a cameo in the movie, uh, which may have accounted for the fact that the uh, fact that this movie became a huge hit in England. It was kind of a box office bomb here in the States but very popular in 1951, 1952. See, I think the same thing would happen in 2021. I think that it would do great overseas. And I think that people here would be like, what? Why did we watch that one? Let's go watch the Muppets. Where's Kermy? <laughs> I didn't even see Gonzo in that one. <laughs> Kermy! I, this is just how I feel. All right, you know I, what we're I, ready I, for? I agree with you. I agree with you. I hope you're noodling on your jingle bells right now. I know I can hear your spreadsheet oh, getting all I'm laid clicking. out there. I can hear it. Oh, do you hear that? Yep. Well, while you're doing that, can you play me a clip for next week's show? I can. Um, we're taking a break. Um, we're not going to do Christmas this year. <laughs> how do you simply not do Christmas? Well, you skip it. But then what do we do Christmas Eve? You'll think of something. I mean, there are plenty of other parties. But none like yours. Oh, that's sweet. When do you leave? Christmas Day. That's an odd time to travel. Well, apparently not that many people travel on December 25th, and so Luther got us a great deal. Oh, then why don't you have the party anyway? Because we don't want to, Mary. We're taking a break. One year off, no Christmas whatsoever. Okay, well, this is going to be exciting, but I don't know what one this is. It was 2004's Christmas with the Cranks. Oh, I have never seen this one. This will be exciting. Oh, yes. Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dan Aykroyd. 
Oh, it's got a cast. It has got a cast. Jack, Jake Busey's in it. That's weird. Um, I have seen Christmas with the Cranks, but probably not since 2004. uh, One time in the movie theater. So I think this is going to be like, oh, I remember that one. But I think we'll find it is as different as different can be from 1951's A Christmas Carol. (laughs) All right. So now we're ready to give some Jingle Bell ratings. And Mike, you are up first. uh, I can go first for sure. I have to go to my touchstone. I have to see what I did. I know. I know. So a Muppet Christmas Carol, I gave a 9.5. Wow. That was strong. That was a strong. The force is strong with that one. Oh, wait. No. You gave it a 9.5. I gave it a 9. You gave it a 9.5. Okay. I, gave I it felt a nine. strong. I felt strong. It was strong. Who's strong with you? <laughs> uh, let's see. I gave it a 9. I gave White Christmas an 8.25, and I didn't think that was a very Christmas This is the movie. inner workings of Mike's I'm brain while we're figuring out. out his Jingle Bell rating. Oh. Y'all should be thinking in your minds about where you're going to watch Christmas with the Cranks. Available if you have a Star subscription. It's available on Stars. I don't know why you're whispering. I'm the one talking with the audience. You're uh, sorry. thinking about your Jingle Bell ratings. Hello. I'm coming into your thought. Can I come in? Oh, hi. Yes, please. Welcome. Oh, hello. Here. Wow. We're, this is like a radio show. Old timey. Hello, Caroline. <laughs> hello, Mike. I, oh, my God. I slammed the door closed behind me. Okay. I've got something to tell you. Christmas is the Cranks. Jingle Bell rating by any chance? Uh, Christmas with the Cranks is available if you have a star subscription or else you can rent it at any of the streaming services. It's available everywhere, but it's available for free if you have stars, which you can get a free seven-day trial through Amazon Prime or through Hulu. That's where you can watch Christmas with the Cranks. I, my Christmas rating, I'm giving this an 8.0. What? Yeah. Yeah, because I, it's a Christmas movie. It's timeless. It is a Christmas story, and it has some really impressive technical aspects to it. And I think Alistair Sim is a good Scrooge. I get why people say he's a definitive v- villainous Scrooge. I'm going, I'm going high. I'm going high on this one because it's a Christmas movie. And, and I'll say, I mean, I'm giving it a higher score than I gave White. Uh, I'm giving it a lower score than I gave White Christmas, which was I gave an 8.25. And I didn't think White Christmas was very Christmassy at all. But I found it much more family friendly than this. Uh, I think this movie loses points on family friendliness. But as a Christmas movie with timeless themes and some other stuff has going for it. I think it still deserves a higher score. In the inevitable re-ranking, I may rank this one lower. It definitely won't go higher. I could see this one falling into the seven Jingle Bell range for me. But for right now, at this moment, I'm going with 8.0 Jingle Bells. Okay, I am giving this one a five, and I know that is shocking to you, but here's why. You can have a wonderful story, and you can have it be technically interesting to look at but if you can't understand the words and the the vernacular is so outdated at this point that it is not accessible to the majority of the population if we know that the newspapers are written at the highest an eighth grade level i don't think an average person would enjoy listening to this level of literature so i don't think they're going to get any entertainment out of it i think if you're doing some sort of research study on 
Charles Dickens and you want to just watch something rather than read the book, this could be an alternative option for you. But I think if you just want to sit down and you're snuggy with your eggnog, I don't think that the average American citizen is going to enjoy this, much less gather the children to watch it. So for me, while it is a Christmas story, I don't think it's accessible to the majority of the people who would want to watch a Christmas movie. So I'm putting it at a five. I think I think those are all very good points. I, I, I agree with a lot of it. And like I said, I, I very likely am going to downright this. Hey, you stand by your ratings, man. Uh, no, no. I mean, it, it's a. I mean, I, I walked you through a little bit of my monologue, but there was more going on there. There was I, more. I, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm leaning into the the Christmas aspect of it, and I'm not focusing at this very moment on the accessibility of it. But I think when I eventually go to sit down with all of these and I look at what we've done over the last year, I think accessibility will probably more be more. Okay, important here you to me. go. Here's going to be my sentence on it. It's a great. Christmas story. It's not a watchable Christmas movie. Oh, I like that. Bam. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Join us next week for a discussion of Christmas with the Cranks, where I believe we will understand all of the words. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to 52 Weeks of Christmas Podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be appreciated so we don't have to put you into the Ghost of Christmas Futures cloak and you sit there like a little sad Muppet. A little urchin. <laughs> a little street urchin looking pathetic. Don't be ignorant and don't be want. We'll see you next week to talk cranks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.